Welcome inside the Legends Lounge, where baseball VIPs are hanging out and talking about their life in the game. Lounge open, another fast one coming through. Oh, but it's not just about speed, as we're about to talk to Juan Pierre. You look at the body of work, he had a really nice, healthy career of numbers and durability and a great guy. And I'm looking forward to talking to him about what he did during his playing days because he saw a lot of things in his time in baseball in the decade and a half or so. I'm very excited, uh, JP. Uh, because this guy was the epitome of underrated. If you look at it, as you said, body of work, especially for about a seven year period there with the hits up, you know, close to 200. In fact, he had one year I can't wait to talk to him about because uh, he got, you know, up to, you know, world record status if it weren't for a guy from Japan by the name of Ichiro. Uh, but I'm looking forward to talking about that because this guy was super underrated. Yeah, should be an all-star at least at some point in his career, but we'll get into it all with the great speedster, ideal leadoff man Juan Pierre in the lounge. We have a 14-year big leaguer zipping into the lounge who retired as a top 20 stolen base guy in big league history, a 295 career batting clip. Nowadays, you'd be like, holy. On base percentage over 34% of the time. Led the National League in steals in 2001. Led all of baseball in swipes in 2003 and 2010. Also MVP votes in 03 and 04. And that 2003 season was epic. World Series title with the fish back then. Juan Pierre, welcome inside the lounge. How is life? It's good, man. I needed you to be my agent toward the end yeah. of my career, man. <laughs> PR, I man. out about two more years with all that stuff. You did, man. I'm, I'm a good negotiator, too. You, you sound like really part. good. Yeah. <laughs> From yeah. New York, uh, JP. So he's, he's, he knows okay, how to Okay, he's got the gift for the so. gap. Yeah, okay. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. But everything is good, man. Life is good. Just, just down here in South Florida. Uh, being a dad, being a husband, and you know, being around baseball, you know, as much as I, I can and want. I tell you what, man. Uh, thank you for coming on. I've been looking forward to this, uh, JP. You know, you you uh, are one of those guys that that uh, kind of a lot of times not talked about enough. I mean, your career was unique, not only in the stolen bases and the run scored and the average, but the games played. I mean, you're notorious guy that, that that would play every game every inning uh for several years so uh and and you and i were talking before we got on um you know my comparison to you to a guy that i i loved uh and also ties with us with the marlins and that is veda pinson uh, mm-hmm. who also kind of was kind of stuck in in cincinnati and other places played with some other you know like future hall of famers and namely frank robinson but uh, your career was unique man now that you look back on it um, yeah. You realize what great things you accomplished? Well, uh, yeah, yeah, because sometimes you can't imagine it. And one of my biggest things was, was the games played. And you know by playing down here in South Florida, it wasn't, you know, a retractable roof back then. Like, it was sweating. And my game wasn't pretty. You know, when I got on, that's when the work started. So I had to dive back in the base, you know, 10 times. They pick, you run, stepped on cleat, you know what I mean? And my legs were my – 
you know, my greatest asset and playing in the heat or playing whatever, you know, I took a lot of pride going out there, you know, every day in my style. Now, I didn't hit home runs, so, you know, I didn't have the red to trot around the bases where you get your run scored, your RBI, and you hit all in one walk, you know what I mean? I had to, I had to rely on other guys and um, just do the dirty work. And um, that's like looking back. But looking back now and the way the game is played, like I'm a dinosaur, man. Like I don't think I would. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have made it that long if the game was 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 played the way it is. Because I was taught, you know, a certain way to, to play the game. And it was an unselfish type of way where I'm always trying to get, you know, guys in the lineup going, trying to get the third base with less than two outs to to get them going to get a ribby on a ground ball or something. So, uh, you know, hopefully it comes back, but I don't want to be that old guy. Like when I play, we used to, you know what I mean? I know it's a different time and these guys are super athletic and super talented right now. So on the topic of self-preservation, because it is truly incredible and you're right. I mean, you were not only playing in the outfield, which you're generally more injury prone as a player in general out there, but then also your style of game would be conducive to understanding as a fan that Juan Pierre is going to get hurt every once in a while, just based on how often he needs to dive back into a bag or he's colliding with someone on a base or colliding with a wall in the outfield. The fact that you played so consistently and were really a, a model of durability for a good chunk of your career it speaks to something because we see it all the time now. I mean, like you said, incredible athletes in the game today, but guys get hurt. I mean, to use an example, I mean, this could be a bit of an extreme example, but one of my favorite players to watch in the modern game is Byron Buxton. And he is an insanely incredible athlete. Some of his injuries have been freak injuries, but also it's just the fact that this is a player. He's running less in his career nowadays, but someone who could steal a ton of bags, he makes insane plays in the outfield, but those plays can often lead to injuries. So for you, what tips do you have for not just youngsters, but even just guys who are playing pro ball everywhere to playing at your best, doing it all, of course, hundred percent, giving it all for your team, but also making sure that you stay on the field. Cause that's always like a, a very delicate topic where someone's like, Oh, he wasn't busting it down the line. And it's like, okay, but he plays every day. So what, what was your take on all of that and how you kept yourself in prime form? Yeah, uh, number one, it was a blessing, you know, uh, from God to just to not have those freak injuries and like some stuff you just you just can't have. You can just roll your ankle on the back like some, you know, guys, you get like just coming out into the field like it's different areas. But other than that, man, like I would tell guys and I and it's hard because I know now like they actually tell guys not to run as hard. Like I heard like organizationally, like, you know, but my thing was I would go out, especially starting in the off season. Like I would put my body through so much, like as far as fielding, like fielding balls, doing baseball. So I think these guys do a lot of like physical stuff, you know what I mean? Pushing the sleds and, you know, and I did all that stuff too, but I got on the field with my spikes in the off season and I like would run hard. Like I would run the bases hard. I would go do shagging and stuff hard. So leading into spring training, I would shag. I think a lot of guys, especially outfielders, like they don't shag during batting practice. They might go out there for one round and then then they're going in and do the hot tub or the mental stuff, which is like, I don't, you know what I mean? But I think you have to put your body in positions. Uh, and I used to get out there 35, 40 minutes before the game to get loose because my biggest thing, if I, especially on the road, if I lay down a bunt, my first at bat, I want to be able to beat it out and not get hurt. And if I do one, like pull a hamstring or something, I'm like, that's my fault because I wasn't ready to run. 
And I go to big league games now. I'll watch whoever the Marlins got coming to whatever. And it for a seven o'clock game, it'll be six fifty-five, and nobody's out on the field like getting loose. I'm like, how do these guys do this? Like, I'll, number one, I'll be panicking. <laughs> you know, number, <laughs> number two is like, no way you can get that. And I know, again, that's why I say I don't think I can play this day because they, you know, with the matchups and this guy can't handle this guy. My biggest thing was like my contract said 162 games. It didn't say if a lefty was throwing. It didn't say if a righty was throwing. And say it was hot or you know what I mean. You don't have to play. It's like I signed up to play 162 games, and if I'm healthy, I want to be out there. Now, if you don't want me to play, you know that's your choice. But I'll be ready to go 162, and and that was my mindset. But I think guys have to start. You know, you run hard. That's why they, if you do make it out, I will always run hard down the line because I don't want my first. One, when I'm trying to beat a hit, and you see it all the time, guy hit a hot chopper, he tries to run, which would be probably the first time he ran hard all day, like hard, hard, and he pulls a hammy, you know. Um, I think that's what happened to a lot of guys that wow. they don't just old school, just old school, get out there and run or shag and put your bodies in position and so your body can feel it and not be the first time in the game, you know, feeling that exertion, so to speak. That, that is great. Not only that part of, uh, and I know some of the kids now and guys are, are stretching indoors and they right, have yeah, yeah, special yeah. trainers. I get it, mm -hmm. but you're right. And then going back to your initial point was masterful. You know why? Because like in football, uh, they talk about, you know, uh, guys that are fast or athletic, mm -hmm. but a lot of times it's in the combines, it's without pads. I didn't even think about that for a guy that's a speedster to train in the offseason on the field with your spikes on and do that type of training. Cause you know, we're always training just with on sneakers. That's yeah. a great idea. And, and some of the kids probably hadn't even thought about that. Some of the teams haven't thought about that. Yeah. Um, well, you know, the first week I, yeah. of spring training, Explain. Guys, their lower backs are sore and they get blisters on their feet. Why? They didn't put on spikes. The whole office, you know, that's, that's a great point. Hey man, I want to take you back to, um, just your original man uh right. you know you you have a great background with your family and your history it goes you know hundreds of years with you know louisiana and 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 your creole background in fact you, you, i was fascinated that you were named juan uh after juan marichal the dandy right. one himself because i guess your dad was a big fan of of marichal um right. give me a little you know to take yeah. us into your upbringing in louisiana and all that yeah, it was, I had an older brother. My dad loved baseball, so we were always, you know, baseball. I did the whole, you know, trading cards, baseball cards. Just just loved the game. Daryl Strawberry was my, my favorite player ever, so I didn't have a, so to speak, team in Louisiana, but I would just follow wherever Daryl Strawberry went. And, I mean, from the original, you know, my dad, and I said it was funny because my dad liked the Dodgers, but he, you know what I mean, he named me after Juan Marichal, so I don't, I don't know how that working. It's a funny story because <laughs> I went like three or four years, I think, in the big – I think after I won the World Series, people realized that I wasn't like Dominican or Haiti. Because <laughs> <laughs> I started out in Colorado, and I wasn't a big star. We had Larry Walker, Helms. I never did any interviews or nothing. Like, people would just assume that I was Latin, so all the other guys would be like, hey, K-Pop Soul. I'm like, hey, you know? The media probably wouldn't even talk to you because they, they're like, oh, yeah, we need so it. It was great. It was great for me. I, I played on it, man. I was like, I don't have to answer any questions. But quite storm, quite storm. <laughs> exactly. So you know, and then the Pierre comes with the uh, the French Creoles. So I had a uh, definitely a different dynamic by being just named Juan Pierre. People didn't know what to think I was, and uh, the upbringing was just the same. Just love playing the game. I was a tiny kid, you know. I was like a buck fifty, 
uh, graduating high school. And that's the funny story. And I got called up to the big leagues. They made me stay in Colorado because I was like 165 pounds. And they was like, you got to put some weight on. So I'm like, all right, I guess. So it was like freezing cold. I'm like, man, I'm from Louisiana, man. Like, I do not want to be in this cold. So I told I said, don't expect me to be at a workout if it's snowing because I do not know how to drive <laughs> in the snow. So uh, <laughs> it was it was a good time. But like just anybody, just a kid that loved, never thought in a million years that I would be a, a big leaguer, you know, just chasing the dream like like any other kid today. How did you put the weight on? And did you? <laughs> <laughs> not really. Not really. Not really, right? Well, I, I mean, what yeah, did they I, want you to do? Just like eat a lot more or like weight train. I wasn't a big like lifting weights guy. Like that wasn't the thing to do back then. You know, yeah. my biggest thing was like keeping my speed. And, and I did put on some weight and put on some muscle. And, you know, as you get older, I was 22 at the time. Um, but I'll, I'll spring training every year, I'll come in solid. I'll be like 175, 180. And then one week of that, back down, <laughs> right. back down to 170. And by end, I'll be like 165 again. So uh, it was it was tough for me to 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 keep. I still amazing how some guys put on weight during the season. I'm like, how do you guys do that? I you also kidding. have you have elite metabolism though. Yeah, I, mean, I do oh, get like it. we're looking at him now. I mean, look at Juan Pierre. He looks I mean, great. You, you <laughs> can great. just throw him right on the field. If I'm right not mistaken, now. you're 44, yeah, right? I got little kids, man. I say you can't get me to like you 16, bro. Running like I'm, right. I'm gotta hold <laughs> y'all to like go 16. Go pops. Huh? Huh? Don't embarrass pops. Just exactly, yet, you know I mean? exactly. And they're young. My oldest is only ten, so I got a okay. ways to go, man. But uh, but yeah. So you know, eating late at night and stuff like that. I do get you get bad habits in in because you have to like you usually don't have a good meal till eleven o'clock at night. So it's 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 hard to. I'm glad I didn't have that problem. I knew some guys. They smelt food. They gained five pounds. Like it, that's true. That's true. <laughs> Yeah. I'm gonna ask you about your legs again, man, because that was that was your pride and joy and, and your hitting prowess. I mean, you know, you hit bullets too. I mean, yeah. But interestingly, one of the stats that I was looking up, you know, checking you out, and it's a stat that I never even think about. And Scotty's gonna enjoy this one, analytic wise. Um, several times you led the league or in the tops of reaching base on errors, and what that means to me. People were like deathly afraid when you came up to the plate and you hit a grounder. They were so rushing on the infield uh, and not to mention you, you know, you would hit lead the league in hits and singles and just pure hitting, but you just caused havoc uh, to infielders. Did you? Yeah. It was just putting pressure on the defense. Like I always, and speaking of that, like we got to get with the statistics, the analytical stuff, like all those times Preach I it. reached on errors, you get nothing for them. It doesn't help on base percentage. It doesn't help unless you score and steal a base. But I'm like, you got to get something for reaching on there. You're causing them to make us give me on base or something. You know what I mean? In this day and age, you're probably right. They need to create, you know, back in the day that I could get it because, you know, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't so that, 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 driven. That yeah. Right. No, but that's now, a brilliant point. Oh, that should contribute it, in some way. You're right, Juan, to your on base percentage because it is a true skill. If there is a speed threat, it is causing someone to rush, rush the situation Often can turn into multiple bases. And then just in general, I mean, when I'm calling games, we always refer to certain players that have that internal clock mm -hmm. where they know when they need to get that ball released based on the speed of the player coming at you, which right. for you meant you better be at, at hyper speed with your internal clock where it's not happening. And that's where errors occur. I mean, generally, right. If there's a speedster and someone knows they have to rush ball gets thrown away and 
that's that's just purely eye test and knowing the player profile. But right. then, you know, if we're looking back and we have people listening right now on wherever they get their podcasts are serious and they're, say, 12 years old and they didn't watch Juan Pierre's career, they're just looking at your stats and they don't know the true threat that you brought every time you're at the plate, even if it was for some guy, it's like basically what a, a swinging bond or yeah. he didn't get much of that one. It's just a little or the outfielders. On the left he side could of the hit grass. a single. He could hit a single. Yep. And they know he's going hard and he could turn a single into a double and then you're rushing it. And the Deke alone could make an outfielder. You know, I'm sure there were several times when that happened, JP. Yeah. yeah, yeah, of course. I got a lot of hustle doubles and stuff like that. And I used to get mad because, you know, like bang, bang plays, just, you know, before the headphones and stuff. And the, and the, um, and the first base umpire will be like, he's off the back. I'm like, bro, I beat it out. Like you getting a scorecard to make an error. Then you know what I mean? If it's an error, then it's like, bro, like, don't do that. Like, it's bang, he's bang. fighting for oh, hits, Scotty. He's fighting for hits now. Yeah, I'm his pseudo agent, so I've already <laughs> got him at a 302 batting average and a 363 on base. 295. Okay, he exactly. Now, how good better those numbers look, man? You know, what I, mean? <laughs> I get a 300 clip, and you know, so uh, but just right, little things. But I mean, that was a pet peeve of mine, but you know, I do get it. But I do like putting pressure on the defense, that's why I tell these guys. Some of these guys, you know, I work with now, I'm like, it's about putting pressure on the defense. It's like when I bunt it, you know, the guy was in, like, say you had a Scott Rowland or Adrian Bell. Like, you had to be perfect for these guys. But I was like, you're not going to take it away from me. Like, I'll bunt, like, early in the series to be like, to put it in the head. Oh, he will bunt when it's still in. Knowing that, you know, there's a good chance I might be out if I don't get it perfect. And some guys, you know, you don't have to be as perfect, but it was a setup. It was like, okay, if I keep him in, then my next hit, if I get it to this angle, um, then, hey, it's going to be a hit because I, I'm, I'm forcing him to stay in. See, that's how strategic I was. That's why, like, two strikes, I used to get mad because they used to back up. That's why I would bunt some in spring training a lot with two strikes, just to be like, they write it down, he will bunt with two strikes. Now, meaning I would, I might do it once right. the whole season, but, like, to keep him in, because I used to get mad. I hit a, a chopper with two strikes. And I'm like, oh, he got it. I was like, man, if I hit that ball with one strike, that's a knock because his angle taken away, you know? So, in my mind, I'm great like, point. I keep this guy in. i tell you what. Um, I think that's great as far as what you kind of picked up as you were going. I want to ask you about what your favorite stop. You know, you had some really cool stops, really, you know, uh, interesting teams. Obviously, you started with the young Colorado team, basically, and, uh, you know, every few years into their uh, inaugural seasons. But uh, then the stop in the Marlins came. And uh, where where was the coolest stop? Obviously, there's a World Series involved right. in that one. But talk about, you know, maybe a little bit of each of your stops and, and what was uh, unique about each one. Yeah, well, Colorado, you know, when you get called up, that team is always dear to your heart. You know, you came up through the minor leagues. And, and I remember going up there with Larry Walker, Ty. And I was in the group with, like, Larry Walker, Ty Hilton, and, like, Ron Gant in the hitting group. I'm like, well, come on, man. Like, these guys. And this is for the humidor. You know what I mean? So that stop was – but it was – baseball was real baseball because I thought every game was going to be, like, 10-9. You know what I mean? We played, like – just slugfest. Like, I would lead off the game. I mean, you know, first two at-bats, get two hits. I'm like, I got to get another one. I might get seven at-bats this game. It be like, could be like two for seven. Um, and so that was all special. And the Marlins was the first time I think fans really, like, appreciated me down here in South Florida. Like, they actually appreciate me, like, stealing bases and 
you know, bonding. And I'm like, wow, this is crazy. Like a couple of people have like had t-shirts or jersey of mine. I never had that before. So, and that was probably the coolest stop because of the world series. And we had just a special group of guys um, here down in South Florida and the community just backed us, backed us well. And, you know, with the different, with the Latin community, you got, you know, Haitian, you know, Caribbean. So it was a good stop. I was there one year with the Cubs and just the history of it. That was the first time I played with a team like with history. You know, Rockies was a new team. Marlins was a new team. And Wrigley Field, just going out there to be able to be on the same field with Ernie Banks, and, you know, I mean, Billy Williams, Ron Sand, like Ryan Sandberg, Andre Dawson. I remember coming home watching, you know, WGN. You know, that was the only thing you watched after school. And um, from there, and I had a lot of stop Dodgers and other things, Jackie Robinson, Don Newcomb, Sandy Koflax, like, and you'll see these guys, you know, come around the, the field. I'm like, man, this Dodger blue. Uh, I always wonder how white they, how they get those uniforms so white, man, and this where that, it was awesome. And then going back to Chicago on the South side, you know what I mean? With the White Sox, another tremendous, like Chicago fans are, they're into it, man. Like, you're losing, man. You don't even want to go out to eat that night, man. You know what I mean? <laughs> He's like, I'm just trying to get a steak or something. They're asking, well, what's going on with the team, this and that, you know? So you you eat in a lot there if you're not winning. And I had a quick pit stop in Philly, man. In Philly, no. Philly fans, you really don't want to go out to eat there. <laughs> <laughs> like, you guys, like, they might do something to your food, man. It's like these guys take you. Serious over there, man. And, you created and, Uber Eats because I of know, Philly, man. I know, man. I, and I was coming off the year they had won like five in a row, but you know, Ron Howard, J. Roll, and all that. And I came the year after, like Ron Howard pulled his Achilles. Chase Utley had got hurt, so I didn't finish five hundred. But I mean, they were coming off, you know, five straight years of winning the, you know, so they were booing you before you even step on the field, man. I'm like, oh, just give me a chance to mess up, you know what I mean? Uh, but <laughs> Passionate fans, though, you know, so every stop was different, man, and I'm, I'm grateful for each one. But if one particular stop, I mean, this is why I'm still down here in South Florida. I would never be in South Florida unless I played with the Marlins and uh, met my wife here. So we, we were raising our kids here, but uh, definitely love that those places. Hey, I want to go back for a second to um, you mentioned, and it's true. I mean, you were at least a part of you played during the steroid era. And obviously you're a guy that's, you know, a speed guy. You're probably showing up sometimes to the clubhouse looking at cartoon characters going, you're like probably looking at yourself like, am I, what, what are they doing that I'm not like what, I mean, back then, and and not that you cared necessarily. Cause like you said, I mean, you were not worried about weight. You're a completely different kind of ball player from, from the jump. So you're not hitting the gym 24 seven, like some of these guys. And for roids, like having the, the, one of the biggest parts of, of, of doing steroids is um, for players, especially back then was that they could just continuously like lift and play a game. And you're like, they never run out of energy in their, the recovery. Like they're not sore from lifting massive amounts of weight. So they become, you know, balloons, they become just these monster cat. It's like the space jam monsters. So when you were around that, did yeah. you, did you know what was going on? What were your thoughts on it? Did you not even care? Cause you're just like, I'm doing my thing and I'm a speed guy and I'm not worried about it. Right. Yeah. I was naive. Cause when I first came into the league, I didn't know. I mean, I knew guys like were similar to my side, maybe a little bit bigger. We hit the ball like 500 feet. 
fiend. I'm like, whoa, like what is what is going on? So I was really naive to it. I'm probably one of the only players that hitting in Colorado probably hurt me. Cause my like my line drives that usually just go in front of the outfield, carry right to them. I'm like, this is great. I usually get it right outside the infield, but right in front of the outfield. So uh, I was one of the few guys where I'm like, man, Colorado's hurting me as a hit. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, but I was naive to it. And then about five, I think I was about five years, four years into it, where people really started talking about it. Like this guy is this or whatever. I'm like, I had no clue, but like, I just did my thing. Like at that point, it still had a, a a way in for my game, like guys, you had old school managers, like Jack McKeon was like, hey, we want you to run. I had Jeff Torgor, like get on base, like cause havoc. Like, so I still had those old school managers that really, really didn't. And, you know, you try to have a balanced lineup, you know, me and Louie at the top with the speed. And then we had like Pudge, Biggie, D. Lee, you know what I mean, with Thunder. And they also could run. So it was a balanced attack. So it didn't, it didn't affect me as much, you know, like if it was like now, the way the game is played and with that, like, yeah, I would, I probably would have had no shot because you got guys. Now you just want big, you know, Shorb is a leadoff guy, nothing against him. But like back when I started, those guys wouldn't lead off guys, you know, but now you just want a guy that gets on base and can hit like one through nine now, like bombs, you know? So it's we're a definitely different play. I don't know. I can't recall any, like speed, you probably watch the game way closer. I mean, like a speed guy right now that's lead off or, or do those type things. Now I can't really. No, I know what you're saying. Um, it's changed a ton, and and O picks on me sometimes because yeah. I'm definitely more of the like new school analytical right. guy. But not I'm. In fairness, I would say I'm more down the middle in terms of what yes, I'm into. Are. Maybe yeah. leaning a little you're bit analytical, like but at the, the same time, stuff. like my, yeah. I mean, I grew up, my my favorite, and I played a lot of video games. My favorite guys were the leadoff Juan Pierre types mm-hmm. that first, because like put yourself in my video game brain of, <laughs> I want to, I want to control the guys that can get on in a variety of ways that can steal bags. Cause that's fun. That creates action that in the outfield can run down balls more than, you know, the big boy next to them and left. Mm -hmm. So that stuff was all exciting to me. So nowadays in the modern game, it happens every once in a while, but it's, there are, it's very few and in between that you'll find a player who doesn't have like this elite power tool, or even just like at least an average power tool where he's good for 20 plus homers. Uh, What happened also was Juan, you just see so many guys at the top of orders that are like the, that could be three or four hitters. And they're just like, well, like you said, they take walks and they hit homers. So let's like put them at the top and they're not clogging up the bases. I mean, George Springer may is one of those guys at the top of the lineup where, you know, when I'm growing up, I mean, I'm talking even nineties, even early two thousands, like George Springer is a three and a four hitter. He's not a, he's not a leadoff guy. And there's a lot of guys like him nowadays who are leading the way. I mean, Charlie Blackman in, in Colorado was, a guy who was leading off frequently and you're like, this guy shouldn't be lead off. He's big dude. He should be in the three or four spot, but he could run. And um, that worked. And that's what they looked at, you know, analytically and said, Hey, this, we've got guys that can drive him in. He's getting on base as well as anyone on our team. Let's put him at the top. And and to say, Oh, the on base percentage for one, it's not like Juan was swinging at everything. I mean, like I mentioned earlier, I mean, he had three base clip. He took his walks. Yeah. yeah, well, I tried. And that was some of my whole career. They're like, we need you to walk more. We need you to walk more. So, like, you look at my career, I, I rarely swung 3-1, like, leading off the inning or something. Like, guys in scoring position, different. I never swung 2-0. You know, I never swung at the first pitch of the game. Like, these are stuff they, like, you don't do. 
You know what I mean? Like, we need you to see pitches. We need you to, you know, work counts. And they always say, hey, we need to walk more by. And, like, looking back on it, if I was more aggressive, like, look at, like, I would have batted 300. You know what I mean? Like, I would have got those extra. But, like, we were taught to see, because in my career, like, I saw a lot of pitches each at bat. I didn't walk, though, because why? The, the pitcher coach said, hey, make this guy swing the bat. Like, uh-huh. force him to swing. And I got my crew telling me, you need to walk more. So I'm like – and granted, I swung at a lot of borderline pitches because I didn't trust umpires. Or I was a good bad ball hitter, for, so to speak. But, like, Louis Castillo, for instance, who's similar to me, like, from the left side, he walked more. Like, Louis had a great eye. Like, he – Sean Figgins was another guy. Like, they got their walks. And they weren't power guys, you know what I mean? But, But – like I would get more hits, you know what I mean? So it was like one of those things. And um, and and I totally get like these 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 guys, like your Kunas, like the George Springers, like, and I try to tell speed guys now, like, they don't hit though. Like they don't bunt. Like you're not gonna be a speed just because you're a speed guy, you can't bat 240 with a 290 on base and lead off. Like that, that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, so I totally get, you know, even if a guy bats 240. But his own base is 330 because he walked. Now, he might clog up the bases. He might, you know what I mean? But if you only get in a base on a, at a 290 clip, well, I don't care how fast you are. That, that's just not going to cut it. But but here's the deal. Yeah. Um, athletes are way better conditioned, you know, yeah. uh, just in general right now with all the D1 places and they're coming up. Uh, they're eating better. The whole nine, right? So yeah. baseball players are better. I just think their baseball acumen is not as good. They're not, you know, sharper. They don't know how to steal. Your guy, one of the coolest things that, you know, that he did was he stole 100 bases. He's only one of four people who stole 100 bases with three different teams. I mean, you know, you were doing it everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. What's up with the stolen base? I mean, you just don't see it anymore. And I think it's a tactic that is so integral in the history of baseball. But obviously, you know, just – a forgotten uh, art. Yeah, yeah, it's it's tough to watch games this, this these days because of that. Because now it's so much easier to steal because uh, this happened toward the later of my career. Like all the pickoffs comes from the manager now. Like kids, they don't even pick on them. But now they got the little electrical thing, so I don't know how that would work. But when I was doing, like, I would peek in the signs, or if I'm at second, or I'll watch video and they give the signs. If they don't give the pick sign, like the guy wouldn't pick. Like he only picks. So as a pitcher, it's hard to do the exact same thing if you're predetermined what you're going to do. Like if he says you're going to go home. So I used to just study. I'm like, OK, he comes to first. Oh, he dips his head or someone he comes. To first. You know what I mean? Because they mm-hmm. when you know what you're going to do beforehand, it's, it's hard to do like the exact same thing, you know, because if they say go home and it's not like back in when I first started, like a guy will come home and he'll do something. He'll just pick on his own, you know. But these guys are robots now. They they only do what they're told. That's like those little cards on defense. You know, they're watching the car like they're to a T. It's almost like many robots out there. You know, it's not like a feel of the game, it's which we were taught. Like in the outfield, I see a guy swing. I'm like, hey, man, I gotta, I'm going to move over. I'm going to bring the right feel over. And now you don't do that. And the cats will ask me. I'm like, they'd be like, oh, the dude, it's like, oh, see, I'm like, bro, just do what your car tell you. Because if you're wrong. And he does does the other thing that the car says, like, you're going to get in trouble. But if you say where the card is and he hits it somewhere else, then, hey, that's that's on the analytical team or the pitcher or something. So it's really taking that that feel out of it. But, like, stealing bases is like a field thing. Like, it's – it's it's uh, 
I think it's easier to steal now, but I think guys, number one, like you just said, like the trials, the bucks, like they don't want them to get hurt. You know what I mean? Like we're paying this guy $20 million. Uh, I think trial got hurt what, two years ago stealing with his thumb. Yeah, and that's it. He missed it. So, you know, it's, it's a, it's a tough goal, but like, like I said, like the game is be played hard and injuries happen. Uh, and the thing is about playing every day. I know like with the analytical team, I think they have teams have sleep rooms now, you know what I mean? Like to give guys rest. And I'm like, we all knew that. Like I knew if I took two days off, like I'll be fresher. My legs will be good, but that's not baseball. Like you got to play when you're tired, like you got to fight through it. Um, so with the, all the rest and this and that, I'm like, yeah, but this is baseball. Like, if you play 162 games, like, you're going to get tired. You just got to know how to fight through it. Hey, on, on the topic of, of a preaching. stolen base, um, I'm going to give you three scenarios. Mm-hmm. Okay. Tell me which one you would like. Um, I, I guess rank it for me. To, to win a game, walk off homer, steal home, rob a home run. And and within that, then I want to ask you about the big uh, Barry Bonds home run robbery that you had back in 06. But what, what, which one would you rank if you're Juan Pierre, right? And you're in your prime of your career and they're like, hey, you're going to win the game tonight, which would be the most to the least cool and desirable for you personally? Man, I didn't ever hit home runs, man. That's what I'm saying. It makes it interesting. Yeah, it's like, did you, want, do you want off, the game winning homer because you didn't uh, do it as often? Or yeah, it was to be a bomb, no doubt. A walk okay. off bomb, no doubt. Like I, I can't imagine that. Like the little home runs I did hit, I would be like, man, you guys do this like 40 times a year. Like, this is awesome, <laughs> man. Like, I'm not dirty. I'm like clean. I get a drink. I try. I'm like this. I can't imagine. You know, like the season even Judge having right now. I'm like, man, this cat here is just like when you hit a home run. It's, when I hit it, I would feel weird. And half the time I would hit them, I would be around second because they were like wall scrapers. So I didn't like, – <laughs> I, mean, I only enjoyed one. And it's like with the Phillies, I hit one in Philly. I'm like, oh, I got that one. But the other ones, I'm like, ah, I'm like running. I'm like um, – so definitely that, hitting the walk off. Uh, stealing home would be pretty cool. Like I, That's I, rare. I, and I never stole home like like the Jackie Robinson stole home. I'm still home like – with it throwing the second and then you, you, you take there, but I never like, so I think that would be pretty cool. And robbing a home run would be pretty cool too, but that would be my least of those three. Well, what take me the back then to what would you say? No, the Oh six. I, I want to hear. The, yeah, that's yeah. exactly what I'm saying. Take yeah. me back to Oh six. Cause it's like, it's oh. a very famous home run robbery as Barry Bonds was like, I got seven fourteen, and you were like, no, you don't. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that was one of the highlights of, of that the Cubs year for for me we lost a lot you know what I mean but Barry he hit it and it wasn't that hard of a play because when Barry Bones was up the bat like you you play on the warning track like you're like bro you can have the single like it's good at that point he wasn't running like he you know did back in the day so it was the ball he crushed it and I mean I probably was like 10 feet in front of the wall so I kind of like had to time it out got on the thing but uh, but it's Barry Bonds, like you had to catch it in the middle of all these flashes and you know the stuff. And in San Francisco, like the crowd is amazing. I tell you, that was, that's one of my favorite places to play in San Fran mm-hmm. because of just the crowd, the atmosphere. And I just couldn't believe it. I mean, it wasn't that hard of a catch, but anytime you like go over the wall, like it's a possibility, like you're gonna miss it because you don't like necessarily practice that every day, like robbing home runs. Um, so but it was pretty cool. Um, and then like uh 
Harvey, I think, was a clubby guy. So I'm like, man, you think Barry Bones will sign the ball? I kept the ball because they all had those stickers on it. You know what I mean? So I'm like, I'm keeping the ball, bro. And I was like, you think Barry will sign? He's like, man, you got to ask him. I'm like, he don't, you know what I mean? You don't just send stuff over <laughs> to the thing. I'm like, oh, man. So I think the next day for batting practice, I was like, you know, Mr. Bonds, you know. Now, meanwhile, <laughs> hey, like six or seven years, you know what I mean? We beat him in the 03 in the thing. But, you know, that's still Barry Bonds. I was like, Mr. Bonds, like, would you uh, mind signing? And he actually signed it, and it was cool. But, like, I was, like, nervous to ask him, you know. But that was that was, that was was a big, big, big deal. Um, still can't believe I actually did. I wish he had better film of it. It's like, every time I try to look it up, it's, like, real grainy. Yeah. Like, it's like a cell phone. No thing. HD back then. No, no, Standard no. def. <laughs> By the way, did Bonds say anything like a funny line or anything witty when he was like, wait, you want me to sign the ball that you just robbed me of seven? Yeah, 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 he did. He did. <laughs> Taking hits, now you want me to sign it? And, and I was so nervous, you know what I mean? I didn't even laugh, you know what I mean? Like, because he was kind of serious <laughs> at first, and then he, like, smiled. I'm like, come on, man, I won't do that to you. Like, you I dropped a Mr. Bonds on him. That was, I know. <laughs> that's like, dude, that's classic. Hey, bro, he knew who you were. You know yeah. why? Because in 2004, you had 221 knocks, bro. I mean, yeah. and BB, I got to locker next to him with the Pirates, and and we're still very tight friends. Okay, he, um, he studied. He studied other players, man. Even right. as a young as a young buck, and mm -hmm. um, 221 hits, bro. At that time. 2004 this is before I you know obviously you know Ichiro I think yeah. was was doing some crazy stuff already by then but yeah. nevertheless that's that was an incredible year so he knew who you were talk to me about that year and, and, and getting that many knocks I was about to say that's the crazy year because that is the year that Ichiro had like 262 or something like yeah he broke the record that year that's right yeah, that year, they, so, again yeah. you know as I say Scotty B before you answer man God bless this guy. He had such an incredible career, but a lot of times it was like somebody, either Bonds hitting 70 over, Sammy hitting the, Ichiro yeah. getting 260, 221 hits just goes by the wayside. That's a, a monumental amount. At the time, uh, Ichiro broke the record. It was 230, I think, Sisler was 230-something, 236, 234. You were on mad pace, bro. Yeah, yeah, and that, that was down not the story of my career, but like that was the year he just went crazy. And he, and Ichiro was Ichiro. Like he was a superstar. Like, like, like I said, I wasn't never leading sports center. I just did all the dirty work and I was fine with it. And that year, I don't think anybody even said anything about the two, two. And you know what I mean? I know I didn't do any interviews outside of like Florida, you know what I mean? Nothing national about getting 220 hits because Ichiro had got the 262. And I was like, man, it felt like I was getting three hits a day. I'm like, it must feel like he was getting five hits a day. I'm like, how did he, you know what I mean? And I always looked at each other because he was one of the few guys during my time that he was similar to me. He had more pop. You know, he had better arm, you know, defense. Like, but we were similar into the kind of style. Um, like, again, he was a superstar. Uh, but I always would watch what he does, you know, because, I mean, for like eight, nine years, like, we were neck and neck and hits. You know what I mean? I mean, he had me, but it wasn't like, but like, but like 100 hits and then – um, the Dodger thing, I got to sit on the bench and all that stuff happened with the Manny Woods, Andrew Jones. And so I was the odd man out. But for like eight years, like we were neck and neck. And that was like over the Jeters and, you know what I mean, hit wise. Like for an eight year stretch, like I was right up there with those guys. Um, but yeah, it, it was an amazing thing. Like I said, it's, it's, it's funny. I always pride myself in getting hits and, and how to get knocks and a lot of times bunting. I think I got over 200 bunt base hits. My career, but I'll tell you, I probably got a thousand hits 
because I could bunt. You know what I mean? Sure. Just by having the defense in, then my balls would get through the infield. And that's what I try to tell these young guys now. I was like, you don't have to bunt like I do. But with they shifting you and you can run, like just just get the bunt down. And it's not going to take away. You'll still hit your 20 home runs. They're not like the, the, the big donkeys. I'm talking about like speed guys uh, that, that, that still don't want to bunt. And I'm like, bro, you'll get more hits if you can bunt. And as Scotty and I always say, uh, uh, you know, is follow the money. So uh, there's the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. the money is in some other things. Hey, man, you've been wonderful. I definitely want to uh, hit you up. I told you, going to hit you up with the No Way Jose. Give, give me, get, I, you've had time to think yeah. about, and you played many different places, many different players. Give me a good story. Give us a good story, uh, a No Way Jose uh, episode that might have happened to you. No way, Jose. I didn't have time. Or scene or a person or, you know, something, Zane. Not to be on the field, but tied to your teammates, maybe even off the field. Okay, I got one. I got one. And this story that's been out, so it's not going to be too crazy. I mean, it's crazy, but it is. Mark uh, uh, Redman was the catcher for us with with the Marlin. So we're in Cincinnati. And Cincinnati, like, the cages are right off the clubhouse, right? So we're, like, you know, a one in eight or something like we're going through one of those bad stretches. Right. So he decides that he's going to, he puts his turf shoes on and like, he walks the cage, but he just has his turf shoes on, but bone naked, man, just <laughs> butt bone naked, taking back practice. Bill Robinson, God rest his soul was the hitting guy. I mean, literally in there flipping and he's hitting naked, man. Like, Hey, no desire. What? Yeah. So he's hitting and guess what happens? We win the game. Big O, you know what's got to happen the next day. He got to do that again. <laughs> got to do it again. <laughs> got to do it again. So he goes in there. I mean, batting gloves, turf shoes on. Like, it's it's just, and we called him Oblique Man because he had these obliques. They just hang over. We, he was Mr. Oblique Man. That was his, uh, like, Elias on the road. I never heard this. No. So he does it. Guess what? We win another one. But now we got to come back home. And in Florida, you know what occasion we're at. You yeah. got to go, like in the front office and stuff. Right. So we black out the windows. <laughs> we put like black out the window. We have two people stand by the doors. You know what I mean? Because like front office used to walk through the cages. Yes. So you had to block the doors. You put we put black thing on there. So he walked with clothes to the cage. And then once he got there, took his clothes off, hit again. And that lasted like five days, man. Dude. Scotty's baseball is the zaniest and most superstitious <laughs> sport. And the fact that you play it every day, every day, if you do something right, you're not waiting to next week, uh, you know, against yeah. Notre Dame or <laughs> against the Bucks. You're doing it again. <laughs> Whatever no that Even is. If you don't want to do it. You got no choice. You got to do it. The t- your teammates go, you're doing <laughs> it, right? I'm, no, man, I don't want to drink that. His, yeah. his uh, t- tobacco juice cup. But you did it oh, yesterday. Oh, man. It worked, man. <laughs> that, that's the amazing part is like, like you know, I'm, I'm not entirely surprised about the beginning of the story. It's the fact that the continuation and right. the dedication by the, dedication. the squad on superstition to be like, all right, let, that's it. We got to block all the do? windows. Block you, the know, you know the deal. We haven't lost. We got to keep figuring this out. Like it was literally a process to get it done because like, oh, it's it, like it's because it was a football state. Yes, it wasn't movie. Joe like, Robbie was different. Yes. People walking through, you got the male people, you got Phil's crew, like you got a ton of people walking through the tunnels all the time. 
And it was like a a, a a whirlwind to do it. But, hey, we were all there. And, you know, the little clubbies, hey, see, we got to find – I think it was like black garbage bags they tied up there too. Like, Dude, it's got to be this one. This one, I think it, it's right up there with the, with the it's Maddox up Peace there. And And while, you know, while I obviously want all of the success for you in, in your career when you were playing, um, I'm glad that the win streak eventually ended. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, so was Red. You know, Red was crazy. He was he was starting to enjoy it. So I don't know, but uh, yeah, yeah, that was one of the the, the zaniest things. I still talk that's about that. Great stuff. Yeah, that's that the was. good stuff. Juan, this was an absolute blast of an hour. Absolutely we appreciate the time. Went Fun all and all kinds of directions that we wanted to go. So anytime you're welcome in the lounge. We appreciate you. Great dude, oh. I mean, exceeding expectations. I also just had never spoken to or interviewed Juan Pierre a little bit before my time in terms of my pro broadcasting career, but was a big fan of what he did on the field as I watched him throughout his career. And I got to say, the personality in my mind and the, the kindness matches the impressiveness that he displayed on the field on a daily basis, always doing something that made you say, wow. No doubt. And, and, you know, very articulate uh, and also uh, interesting for me to hear from a speedster, some of the thought patterns that he did, the fact that he, he practiced in the off season with spikes on, you know, I just didn't, I didn't even thought about that. You know, it helped them, you know, report better uh, and not have to worry about calluses and stuff where everybody's running on, on you know, in sneakers uh, or turf shoes and also how he used to bait infielders, you know, even give up a bunt, you know, to the next, the rest of the series, you know, fascinating insights that maybe because the game is played a little differently, you, you don't see as much uh, phenomenal. And uh, I totally, truly love JP. Yeah, we appreciate you, JP. Welcome back in the lounge anytime. So let's keep the speed thing going for both of our usual <laughs> weekly segments here in the Legends Lounge. First, this week in baseball, we're going to go back to 1993. It was August 13th. The great Ricky Henderson had just been traded to Toronto from the Oakland A's and Turner <laughs> Ward had his number 24 and Henderson was complaining that he was having trouble with number 14 on his back. You know, it just didn't feel right. Uh, no. So he gave him 25 G's Jeez. to get the uniform number. <laughs> and this is 1993. You know how you do the equivalency of what it would mean now? I mean, 1993, we're looking at about whatever, 30 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Gave Maybe. him serious dough yeah, to grab yeah. that uni. No, like, you know, sometimes it's the watch. It's no, this was 25 right, G's. That buys you a nice car back then. Right. Right. No, dude, I tell you what, Ricky was something else. I, I, I had the great fortune to come up to the Yankees while he was there. And uh, not only, you know, I'll tell you two quick stories. Number one in spring training. And, and I pride myself that I was in really good shape when I was playing. I was six, four, you know, I played a lot of basketball coming up. So probably about two twenty five, and, and had like a, you know, like a uh, under 10 body fat. I was like nine, eight, go to spring training. They will always test you and give you the physical. Right. And come out. And I was like nine, seven, nine. Eight. I was pretty proud. You know, um, Dave Winfield was like right around 10. Ricky Henderson was three point two body fat. It was like world Olympic, you know, speeds, you know, sprinter. Um, it just was chiseled, bro. He was so strong, the quads. And and then I'll never forget. I get out, I get called up to the Yankees. I'm Yankee Stadium. I'm, I'm out there early, bro. And Ricky comes out, goes, big old. 
Yeah, the high pitch boy. Big O, I think Ricky going to get three hits today. I think Ricky going to steal three bases today. I think Ricky going to score three runs today. I go, Man, I'll tell you what, Ricky, who's that Ricky guy? Because uh, we need him to play for us. Because it's me, Big O. It's me. <laughs> <laughs> you played in the third person. The third person. <laughs> but you played to it. You played to the. Oh, character. I went. I went. Man, who's that Ricky guy? He goes, it's me, Big O. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love Ricky Henderson, man. What a player. Okay, last but not least, as always, where are they now? What what did you term this episode? The Fast and Furious. All right, so let's see how fast I can do to hit this as we're also going to keep the flying theme going literally this time. You had Joe McCabe signed by the original Washington Senators, which is now the Minnesota Twins franchise. He was signed in 1960, debuted in 64, then for the Twins, uh, traded to the expansion edition of the Senators, which is now the Texas Rangers. If that's all confusing, you can Google that. We don't have time. In the offseason, Joe McCabe took flying lessons, and eventually he landed a job as a pilot after he was playing for Pan Am. How cool is that? 35-year career as a pilot. Pan Am, and then eventually United, served as a captain on 12 different types of aircraft, and amassed over 30,000 flight hours, and eventually the Professional Pilots Award of Merit for Achievements in Aviation. Also instrumental in getting the mandatory retirement age for pilots raised from 60 to 65 years old. So bravo to Joe McCabe, perfect fit for this episode. And really cool how he was also thinking about his career while he was playing, which wasn't a long career, but he was going, all right, I need a, I need a plan B here. And he figured it out. Oh, so you know what it was? He was in the outfield out there, probably be looking up at some stadiums and stuff and go, Oh, look at that plane. I think, <laughs> mm, I think, I think I'm going to go fast in the air after this. Yep. Baseball played out perfectly for him, right? Yeah, you get distracted for a second and you realize, I'm going to be a pilot. It's like a little kid, you know, out there. I'm going to be an astronaut, but he really did it. Need for speed. Need for speed. Theme of the episode. This lounge, this time is closed. Thank you, Juan Pierre. See you soon. The Legends Lounge Podcast is brought to you by Major League Alumni Marketing. Hit us with questions or comments at legendslounge at mlbpaa.com. Check out our memorabilia at mlamauthentics.com. Later, Legends. Legends.